Well, I still remember watching some of those testimonies and, and hearing people share them and uh, kind of brings back chills of all of the stuff that happened through Rooted and how amazing it was. I know many of you have been through it already. If you haven't, I encourage you to take part in it in the next session that's coming up. We've done two of these already, and it's just been really neat to see God work in people's lives and people getting baptized after going through Rooted. And some of the conversations, even the last couple of weeks, I've had with people um, where it's just sort of come up as like, oh, yeah, I know who that person is because we were in Rooted together, or we've continued meeting together after Rooted. And so if you're someone that's looking for community or looking to deepen your walk with Christ or just kind of figure out what does my relationship with Jesus really look like what what should it all be about rooted is a great place to start i encourage you to sign up for the next session well today we are in the last uh message of the series people are asking and it's been a really fun series to be a part of you know we've kind of done things a little bit differently where we'll have a shorter message and we'll have a panel discussion at the end we're going to do that again today but this is the last week of that series because next week we're launching a new series on the book of acts so i encourage you to be here as as much as you can for that it's going to be a long series it'll take us a while to go through because there's so much that happens in acts but it is so so good and i really encourage you to uh to come ready and prepared for that be reading it ahead of time each week and diving into it with us. Someone did find out that there's going to be a special version of the NLT book of Acts produced where it's a page for the scripture and a page for journaling, and it happens to come out September 6th. So you have to wait a little bit, but if you want to get that, you can use that for the next year and a half, two years, however long it takes us to go through Acts. I'm not totally putting a a deadline on it yet. And then you can keep all of your notes there if you want to. That's probably something that I will be getting as well. Well, today we're going to wrap up this series, People Are Asking, with another uh, question, which I'll get into in a minute. First, just a little story to kind of set the stage here. And I won't give you all the story. I'll just give you a part of it. But this was fresh. This was recent. A couple of months ago, someone did something to me that was very offensive. And it was very rude. It was inappropriate. It should not have been done. Um, And it was so obviously rude and inappropriate that I could not believe they even had the audacity to do it. It was just just sort of shocking to me. And... um, I, I was stunned, you know, I would, and I'm sure many of you have kind of been in that situation before where someone's done something to you um, or maybe they've not done something or they've said something or not said something that has really caused you to go, wow, that is that is awful. I can't believe you would you would do such a thing. How, how dare you do such a thing like that really hurts me. It offends me. It bothers me. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So I'm going to come back to that story of mine a little bit later. You can hold me to it. Uh, but I want us to talk about this question. What do I do if someone sins against me? Or maybe a better way to word that is, what do I do if I perceive that someone has sinned against me? That's really the question that we're asking today. You know, last week we talked about bitterness. What do I do in my heart if I think someone has wronged me? How do I handle that internally? Today we're going to deal with the external aspect of that. What do we do with that person and with other people when we think someone has done something wrong? A little bit of today is going to touch on just in general if we see sin in another person's life. So it'll apply there. But mostly what we're looking at is what do we do if we think someone has sinned against us? They've done something or not done something they should have, uh, or they've said something or not said something they should have, and, and we are offended by that. How do we handle that biblically? I'm going to give you a bit of an overview of what scripture has to say and a process that you can work through with some principles along the way. But it will be somewhat brief because I want to save time for our panelists to go through and share their perspective and some stories and some insights that they have along the way. So if you're a note taker, get that pen or pencil ready. It's going to be on fire today. There's going to be a lot to cover, a lot of references to write down. Remember, all of this is going to be available at efree.org slash messages afterwards. So you can go back and rewatch it and get everything you need to from there. The first thing we're going to look at is what Jesus told his 
disciples in Matthew chapter 7. This was new disciple orientation for them. And you gotta, you got to bear in mind that people have been doing wrong to each other for as long as there have been people pretty much, right? I mean, from the time that Eve gave the fruit to Adam and then when Cain killed Abel, people have been offending each other and doing wrong to each other and sinning against each other forever. So it's not really surprising that Jesus would incorporate this into his teaching on multiple occasions. And Matthew 7 is one of these occasions where he's giving his disciples their, their kind of orientation teaching. And he says to them, do not judge others and you will not be judged. For you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. And then he says, why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own how can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite. First, get rid of the log in your own eye. Then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. The scenario here is that you have observed something in someone else's life that you think is wrong. Now, Jesus isn't talking specifically about something they've done wrong against you, although that would also apply. This is just anything that you see that's wrong in their life. And the idea is that it would be a common thing for someone to say, hey, I want to deal with that problem that you have or bring this up or address this or accuse you or whatever it is, and yet not realize that the problem they have in their own life is significantly worse. There's a speck and there's a log. And why would that be? Why would... The issue that we have to deal with and, and what Jesus is talking about here be worse than what the other person is doing. That's what we want to talk about a little bit. But what Jesus is trying to get us to do here is to examine our own hearts. If we're going to address the speck in someone else's life, we have to examine our heart first. It starts with us looking inward at us. And, and, and Jesus says the same standard you use to judge others is the standard by which you will be judged. So make sure that you're not being a hypocrite. Make sure that the issue you're bringing up isn't actually, you know, sometimes, so many times, the, the thing we see wrong in someone else is the thing we struggle with ourselves. And that's what we're most sensitive to. And so if you find yourself constantly condemning and judging other people for something, it would be a really good opportunity to sit back and go, is there a part of me that that's a struggle that I have? Because that's why I'm constantly seeing it in other people. That's often how it works. Jesus is saying, examine yourself first. Make sure you're not judging other people by a standard that you couldn't be judged by right now before you go try to address or bring anything up with them. You have to deal with a log in your own eye, Jesus says. And why is it a log? Well, if we're being a hypocrite, if we're judging someone by a standard that we ourselves can't be judged by, then our sin is greater than their sin or whatever they did. If we're now judging them and being a hypocrite in our own judgment of them, then Jesus says that's, that's a log. That's worse. That's a bigger problem for you have a log in your eye and you're trying to condemn them or judge them for the speck that is in their eye. Paul told Christians in Rome that they were condemning others for activities they themselves were doing. He's got the same theme going on. James said, no, don't criticize each other or judge each other because our job is to obey God, not to be the judge of other people obeying God. So when someone sins against you or you see sin that needs to be corrected, you need to first examine your own heart and say, is there hypocrisy here? Is there a log in, in my eye? Is there, am I judging that person and stepping in as if I'm God judging them? And that's the first thing we need to do before we move forward. And there's a lot more we're going to cover along the way. After we've examined our heart, then we need to overlook everything we possibly can. We overlook everything we can. And this is really referring to when someone has sinned against you. Someone has done something wrong against you. And, and Proverbs 19.11, we talked about this last week, says sensible people control their temper. 
They earn respect by overlooking wrongs. If there's something we can overlook, we should, we should overlook it. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because we talked about this a lot last week, and I have limited time this morning, so go back and watch last week's message if you missed it. But if we can overlook something, we should overlook something. And today what we're talking about is what if we can't? What if I keep looking back at that hurdle that I thought I jumped over, but it's still there in my life? What if it keeps causing problems for me? We should overlook everything we can, but what if we can't? What do we do then? And so then we get to the next point, which is check your motives. So we've examined our own heart to see if, to see if we have any hypocrisy in, in us as we're judging this other person. Are we making a judgment against them? And then we've overlooked everything we can, but there's something we can't overlook here. And so then we need to check our motives specifically when it relates to addressing this in the other person. Note that Jesus didn't say, don't address the speck. Jesus didn't say, ignore it. Jesus didn't say, don't do anything with it. He said, before you address the speck, make sure you check out your own log, then go address the speck. So as we're going to address an issue, we need to make sure that we check our motives. Is the motive for confronting or addressing this issue with the other person out of love? Or is it out of proving that you're right? Am I trying to bring this up to them because I want to beat them down with my judgment? Or am I bringing this up because I genuinely love them and care for them? Jesus uh, said in John 13, I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. This is one way that people see that you're a follower of Jesus. If you have love, it's supposed to be your defining characteristic. And so as you go to address an issue with another person, is your motive love? Is your motive for addressing the other person truly bringing God's grace into their life? Or is it just trying to get your way? Is it bringing God's grace into your life? Hebrews chapter 12 says, work at living in peace with everyone and work at living a holy life. For those who are not holy will not see the Lord. And then he says, Look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. There's an element of accountability and responsibility there that we are responsible to make sure each other receives the grace of God. Is there grace in your heart as you're approaching the other person? Or is it just about trying to, to accomplish some objective or agenda that you have? Or is it about God's grace being applied in their life? He says, watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. We talked about that last week. Is your motivation to make sure that there is no bitterness in your heart and maybe no bitterness in their heart, but that there is peace that happens because of the grace of God applied in that situation. And is your motive in addressing this with the other person restoration, or is it simply to prove to them how wrong they were? Is it to restore them onto the right path? If you think they've really done something wrong, is this a loving, gracious restoration movement? Or is this a, I'm upset and I want you to know just how upset I am. Kind of movement. Galatians talks about this in chapter six. Paul says, Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. We don't like those two words when we think we've been wronged. Gentle and humble are not things we want to be described as in that moment. We, we want to be strong and bold and, and vindicate ourselves and defend ourselves and attack the other person. And yet Paul says, if, if you think there's sin in someone else's life, you need to have gentleness and humility as you approach them and help them back onto the right path and be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Share each other's burdens. Paul says, you, you, you know that person that's done something wrong and maybe it's something wrong against you. That's a burden that you can share with them. 
That's something you can go to them. And instead of saying, I want to point out what's wrong in your life and what you did that's wrong. Instead, you can go to them and say, this is what I perceive in your life. And I don't want you to be burdened by that. I want to walk through this with you. Can we talk about this? Can I help you with this? Can, Can we come up with a plan together to help you work through this? What a different way to approach something that you see wrong in someone else's life. Share each other's burdens. And in this way, obey the law of Christ. This is a command. If you think you are too important to help someone, you are only fooling yourself. You are not that important. If you are approaching someone where you see sin in their life or someone who has sinned against you, is your goal to help them or is your goal to prove how right you are? That's the distinction that Paul is making here. Now, as you check your motives, if you find that any of them are sinfully driven for why you want to approach this other person about this speck that you see or this sin against you or perceived sin, if you find that any of those are sinful, you need to go back to step one, Matthew 7, because there's a log there. There's a log that you need to deal with, that I need to deal with. If, if we're being hypocritical or if there's judgment or if there's that wrong motive, we just talked about what our motives should be as followers of Jesus. If we have the wrong motive, then that's the log that we need to get out of our eye and deal with before we go and address the speck of the other person's eye. We need to do it, but we need to do it in the right order. Now, let's assume we've done all of that. We've dealt with the issues in our life. We've examined our heart. and We've checked our motives and we've overlooked everything we can and we're ready to move forward. Here's a principle that comes right from the lips of Jesus that is so, so, so important. Keep the circle as small as possible as long as possible. The circle of people who are in the know, who are aware of the issue, aware of the offense, aware of whatever it is that you think the other person did that was wrong, keep it as small as possible, as long as possible. It's called the Matthew 18 principle. And in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus says, if another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, you have won that person back. But if you are unsuccessful, take one or two others with you and go back again. So that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. Notice he doesn't say, if you are unsuccessful, tell everybody and build a coalition to go force this person to give you what you want or force this person to admit they were wrong. That's not at all. He says one or two. This is right from Jesus, the son of God, commanding his followers. If someone has done something wrong by you, you go privately and you talk to them in person. You don't spread it around. And if they don't listen, And it's very interesting how that's specifically what Jesus says. If he doesn't listen to you, then you take one or two others and you go back. Not a bunch of people, one or two. And you go back and you talk to them. And if they still don't listen, then what happens? If the person still refuses to listen, not necessarily agree with you, by the way, but listen, take your case to the church. Now, that means church leadership, by the way. That does not mean that whatever issue you have with someone else right now, if, if you've confronted them and you've taken a couple of people, that next week you should get up in front of the whole group here and just say, here's this person, here's everything they've done wrong to me. That's not what he's saying. He's referring to church leadership here. Take the issue to the church. And then if he or she won't accept the church's decision, so that's church leadership, treat that person as a pagan or a corrupt tax collector. That doesn't mean you don't love them. Jesus said, love your enemies. But that does mean they're not a part of the fellowship like they were before. And people need to understand this is a person who has refused to even listen to the church's decision about this matter. I want to point out a few things about this. I won't spend a ton of time here. 
But just a few things to notice here. I want to reiterate the fact that you start by going privately directly with this person. I know there are some instances where a private one-on-one may not be feasible or possible. And I also want to note here, the same thing I said last week, we're not talking about criminal offenses. We're not talking about abuse or or theft or or any kind of um, physical altercation. We're not talking about criminal offenses. The Bible says that the government does not bear the sword in vain. That means that the Bible actually endorses the idea that the government is there to take care of criminal offense matters. Um, That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about someone has done something that you feel is sinful against you or wrong against you, but not necessarily in a criminal way. And in some cases, there may be times where you can't just go one-on-one to that person. So you need to go to a a trusted individual, someone who you think is a very mature individual and say, hey, would you be willing to help me in this process? But then the right way to do it is to go to the other person or, or contact them and say, hey, look, I have something I want to talk with you about. And I would really like this other person to be present with us. Are you okay with that? Like get their permission. Don't ambush them. Get their permission. So both of you are agreeing, hey, we're going to have this third party there to be a part of this. I don't see that as a major problem because in some instances you need that. But if that doesn't work, you you involve the circle just a little bit bigger. You keep the circle as small as possible, as long as possible. Just one or two more, Jesus says. And if that fails, you still don't spread it around to a bunch of people. You go to church leadership. And here's the most interesting thing about this. Jesus says, if he or she won't accept the church's decision, then treat them like a pagan or a tax collector. You know what that means? It doesn't mean if he or she won't accept your decision. If he or she won't accept the church's decision, there is an amount of authority that God places with the local church to decide some of these matters. And you may walk out of that meeting and say, I disagree with what the church leadership decided, but the biblical thing to do is to say, but I will accept their decision and I will leave the rest to God and I will not keep spreading it around and I will not keep bad-mouthing this person. We have gone through the process and the church has made the decision. You know what? The church may make the decision that, hey, we think there's some blame on both sides here. The church may make the decision that, you know what? Actually, it does not seem like they intended this in a bad way at all. And they may need to acknowledge the pain that this has caused in your life. Well, at the same time, they may not have intentionally done anything to hurt you like you think they did. And we like to make all kinds of stories up in our minds about why people did things the way they did. And oftentimes they're major exaggerations. And so getting a third party like the church leadership involved to help mediate in those situations is a good thing to do. But you have to be willing to accept the authority of the church in that case and leave the rest to God. That's what Jesus says. Before, during, and after this whole process, make gospel living and peace your goals. Gospel living and peace need to be your goals, not necessarily winning your argument. Colossians 3.12 says, since God chose you to be holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. We read this last week, make allowance for each other's faults. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. You have peace because of the gospel that you believed in. God has made peace with you. And then he says, for as members of one body, you are called to live in peace. And always be thankful. When we feel that someone has wronged us, It's very hard to be thankful. It's very easy to be bitter. And yet Paul tells the Colossians, peace is supposed to rule 
and your hearts. It's supposed to overcome everything else. The peace that God has given you through the gospel, man, we need to apply that to each other. How tragic would it be for people who have received so much grace and so much peace from a God who had no reason to accept us or forgive us to then turn around and not be willing to extend the same thing to his other children or to other people that he created, other image bearers of his. That's what Paul is talking about here. Finally, number six, no matter what the other person does or does not do, forgive as Christ forgave you. Going back to Colossians 3 for a minute, Paul says, make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. He is tying this back to the gospel. He is saying the gospel says God forgave you, and so you must, commanded, forgive others. Not just if they confess, not just if they agree with you, you must forgive others because Jesus forgave you. That's the kind of life you need to have. And there's so much freedom in that. Say, man, this person wronged me, but I'm going to let it, I'm going to let it go. I'm going to overlook that. And you know what? Maybe you did need to go through the steps and you need to talk to that person and you need to share with them what they did that was against you or that you thought was wrong. And maybe at the end of the day, they say, I, I, that's not my motive or that's not what I did or I disagree with you and you don't have the outcome that you wanted. You still have to follow this principle and say, because God forgave me, I forgive them of whatever. And now I'm going to move on. Jesus said in Mark 11, when you're praying first, forgive anyone you are holding a grudge against so that your father in heaven will forgive your sins too. Think about that for a minute. The God of the universe says, I don't even want to hear from you until you've forgiven that other person. I don't want you to pray to me until you've let go of that grudge. That's how strongly God feels about the peace and the harmony of his children together. It's a big deal. Now, I want to invite our panel to join me on the stage right now because they're going to take this to a deeper level and share personal stories and insights. And while they come up here, I want to give you the conclusion of the story that I introduced at the beginning of this message. Someone that did something that I thought was very inappropriate and shocking. And at first I thought, well, I'm just going to Proverbs 19.11 this. I mean, I teach about this stuff. I know what I'm supposed to do. Overlook it. And a couple hours pass by and I can't overlook it. This is just gnawing at me. How on earth? Why would he do that? How could that? That doesn't make any sense. So I called. And I said, look, I don't know if you meant it this way, but this is what I perceived. And the other person said, I had no idea. That is not what I meant at all. That was a complete misunderstanding. And they were absolutely right. There was no sin involved on either party. There was no intention. There was no motivation. There was nothing wrong. But imagine for a moment if I had continued in my perception and I shared that with a couple other people. You won't believe what so-and-so did to me. Can you believe that? And a couple of them are like, yeah, I could see that. And Oh, man, that's terrible. And they share it with a few more people. Then a couple months later, I happen to run into this person and I say, you know, that really bothered me a couple months ago. I haven't been able to stop thinking about it. So I just want to address this with you. And we talk about it and they explain they didn't mean any of that. And, and I go, oh, that's better. Am I going to go tell all the people that I told? Hey, we cleared it up. It was, there was nothing. Can I go take back what I, what I gave to them? The poisonous root of bitterness that troubled me and corrupted many. That's how that works. Hebrews 12. I can't go take it back. I can't go to all those people necessarily. I can try. Do I know who all they told? No. That's how it works. That's why Jesus says you go privately, you go alone, you go directly, you don't include other people, you keep the circle as small as possible, as long as possible. And thank God that day 
I decided I am going to find out right now before I told another single soul what happened, if there's any truth to this. And there was none, none at all. I was completely wrong in my understanding. Let's go to our panel now and invite you guys to introduce yourselves. Our illustrious panel, all current elders, by the way, are currently on the elder board. So thank you so much for being here. I wonder if you could introduce yourselves, share with us how long you've been at First Free and what you've done here in ministry. My name's Bruce Eckhart. Most people know me by Millie's husband. I've been here for over 20 years and I was involved with the uh, open Bible study. I'm Mike Proctor. <clears throat> I've been here since uh, 2003. I think that's 19 years if my math's any good. Uh, I've been married to my wife, Bobby, for 58 years. We just celebrated our 58th anniversary. And I've been a teacher here in uh, Sunday morning adult community classes. Hold on, 58 years. That's worth celebrating. Congratulations. Good morning. My name is Bill Peskhorst, and my wife Jennifer and I have been members of First Free for 27 years now. Uh, through the years, we've been involved with youth ministry, young adult ministry, as well as and now currently on the elder board. And how long have you and Jen been married? We've been married 43 years. Uh, you got a long ways to go. I mean, <laughs> Mike will give you tips. <laughs> hey, I want to start off by uh, just asking if anybody can share a story of a time when you've seen conflict happen, and maybe you've seen it handled well, or you've seen it handled poorly, and what you learned from that. I'd like to share a uh, story about reconciliation between Bible study fellowship and community Bible study. I was a member of both of those organizations for a lot of years, so I think I can share it with, without any bias. About 40 years ago, uh, BSF had a class in uh, Bethesda, Maryland, and some of the ladies in that Bethesda class pulled away and started their own class, and that class has became uh, the CBS International we know today. And over the years, I think the best way to say it is each organization would say things that weren't uplifting of the other organization. Camilla Seabolt was beginning to retire, was going to retire from CBS. And she was praying to the Lord, Lord, before I retire, I would like to make this right between the two organizations, but I have no idea how to pursue it. Would you prepare a way for me to do it? And she continued to pray that. And then um, she went to a convention and she sat down behind the lady, a lady in front of her, and she uh, tapped that lady on the shoulder and she said, uh, my name is, is Camilla and I'm with CBS. When the lady said what her name was, she was the BSF third generation leader. So Camilla said, we need to talk. Would you meet me during the break? And during the break, the two ladies met. They discussed the, the, what happened. Neither one of them were, were leaders at the time this took place. And they reconciled their relationship. Uh, but more important, the BSF leader said, will you come to our national headquarters and will you pray with all of us? And they agreed to do that. And when that took place, the CBS leader invited this BSF leader to come to CBS headquarters and do the same thing. And then they both committed saying, we will stand together 
And if there's anything said that's not uplifting to either one of the organizations, we will put it to bed. We will stop it. You know, you think about that. You know, they were both had the same calling, the same mission to get the Bible to people of the world. And these, they, they put things down, they decide to serve together. And I think that's what God calls us to do. We're all serving him. And he wants us to do it in unity and in love. And those two organizations showed it on that day. Anyone else? Yeah, this has happened several years ago in uh, Ephraim Church we were in uh, previous to this one, uh, not here in St. Louis. And uh, there was a fellow who, he was on the deacon board and he was a financial advisor and he took the funds that people had given him and he was supposed to invest those and stuff and he misused them. And uh, in fact, he misused them and lost them. And uh, that came to the attention of the church because many of the people that <clears throat> he had accounts with were members of that church that we were in. Uh, so he came, we got together with the elders and with this young man and we decided and he agreed to go around individually to each of the people that he had offended, each of the people who he had sinned against, confess his sin, ask for their forgiveness. And also he made a commitment to the extent that he was able to pay them back the money that he had taken. The ultimate outcome, what he did <clears throat> was a crime. Uh, he went before a judge and he was put into jail. Uh, but the people, several of the people that he had gone and talked to came to that trial and they testified for him and saying what he had done. And so he actually ended up in jail for about six months so he could come out and then actually earn money that, that he could pay them back. The final thing I would say is it, he agreed to get up before the whole congregation because it affected the congregation. It wasn't, it wasn't just those people. It affected because he was a deacon. Get up and confess his uh, sin to the whole congregation. Uh, the story, bottom line to that, was about a year later, I was talking to this man who uh, had been there about a year. And he said, the first day that they came to our church was the day that this fellow had gotten up and confessed to the congregation what he had done wrong. And the man said, this is the church I wanna go to. This is the church I wanna be a part of. That's really neat. What kind of damage gets done when we don't keep the circles small when we feel like we need to drum up support or, or you know just vent to other people and share with them what is what impact does that have yeah i, th I think <laughs> i think it's our natural response when we're in conflict with somebody else to go talk to other people to get support for our position to make us feel better about where we're standing and what we're view is and to but, you know, the problem is the Bible calls that gossip. That's just plain gossip. 
and, and it's a sin, and it has a tremendous negative effect of tearing the people apart within the body of Christ. And so it's very important that we not go talk to other people. We go talk to the person that we, we're having a conflict with, and we, and we try to work it out with them. And that's what Matthew 18 tells us to do. Yeah, and I think as uh, Adam had instructed us this morning in Matthew 18 about what the Lord says about keeping this small and within a small circle, um, if we choose not to do that, as uh, Mike was talking about, we're walking in disobedience. And, you know, that is a, a sin on our part. So that, that is a real consequence of not keeping that circle small. Um, I, I think also... Um, I am surprised sometimes, I shouldn't be, at the, the wisdom of the Lord and what he puts out there. When he says, make this small, we sometimes don't understand all the ramifications if we don't. As again, as Adam was talking about, we, we share this with multiple people and then we resolve the issue with this person. And maybe even I was wrong. It's a definite possibility. Um, so, but I have spread these rumors about that other individual and these other people are still thinking that's true unless I managed to go back to and remember everybody that I spoke to about this and who they may have spoken to about it. So the, the, the Lord's wisdom in this, as I said, it, it, it shouldn't be surprising to me, but it's just another reminder of his wisdom and when he puts these... Uh, this instruction out there for us, it is very practical. That's really good. It makes me think of something else too, which is a lot of times we're on the other end of that where someone's sharing something with us and we have a choice to either say, wait a minute, are you wanting to me to help you go talk to this person? Are you, are you trying to get counsel on how to do this biblically? Or are you just trying to vent? Because that's where it does become gossip. And I think there's a point at which we can actually enter into the sin of gossip with them by being the recipient of that and not doing what the Bible says, Galatians 6. There's a gentle correction that ought to happen on our part when we say, hey, listen, I don't think there's a reason for you to be telling me this right now if you haven't talked with it. If you're on, if you're on stage two and you're needing someone to go with you, I'm right there with you. But if you're not at that point, if you haven't even talked to the person, then, then don't share that with me because that's that, now I'm a recipient of your gossip and I'm participating in that with you. And I think sometimes... Uh, maybe even a, a bigger issue for us as Christians because we're such nice people and we want to listen. But if we're not a counselor, there's not a confidential relationship there and we're hearing that information shared with us, we have to be willing to do the biblical thing and say, um, I'm, I'm willing to help you go do the right thing here, but uh, I'm not going to be a, a participant and enable this conversation to happen. I don't think this is right. That's the most loving thing we can do in that moment. There's a great book called The Peacemaker written by Ken Sandy, and there's a portion in that where he addresses the issue of what to do when you're that third party who someone is talking to, and he says the best thing you can do is not even hear the story until you're in the room with the person that they're up against. And so you can say, well, I will go with you. I will be present in the room. But the first time I hear it should be the time you're sharing with them what they did that's wrong. Because otherwise, you know you're getting a biased and exaggerated version. The only way you know you're going to get the most accurate version possible is if it's what they're willing to say with the other person in the room. So he recommends if you are that third person, 
stop them. Don't even listen to the story until you can be in that room together. And boy, if we did that, what a, what a great impact that would have on making sure that we all have trusting relationships with each other. Well, as we approach confrontation and challenging other people with sin, whether it's something against us or just something we see in their lives, how can we make sure that grace and love and restoration are the focal point of that? Do you have any advice for us? Yeah, well, <clears throat> grace and love and those things aren't what come to us naturally. What comes to us naturally is to, to, to get back at a person that we're in disagreement with. And Paul tells us in uh, the 12th chapter of Romans, verse 14, he says, bless those who persecute you. Do not curse them, but bless them. And <clears throat> one of the ways that I started doing that, and this may sound silly, uh, we are silly, is in driving. And people come and they cut you off and you don't, you may not say it out loud, but inside, I can tell you what's going on in me, and it's called cursing. <laughs> you you want to you want to raise your fist at that person, and what God was showing me was instead of doing that, say, God bless that person. You know, I don't know what's going on in their life. Maybe they, maybe they need to get someplace in a hurry, but I want you, I want you to bless them. And that <clears throat> starts to change your attitude, change you inside, makes you a better driver. But uh, <laughs> the other thing is when you've, when you've got a confrontation with another person, instead of blessing, instead of cursing them, Start praying for them, Pray, praying God's blessing on them. And I will tell you, I've done this several times, and I tell you what will happen is over a period of time, it may be a short period of time, or it might be a long period of time. The thing that you thought was so big that was dividing you from that other person gets smaller and smaller and smaller. And all of a sudden, it goes away and, and you have just restored and come back into relationship with that person. Yeah, I think as far as, you know, checking my motives in these situations, um, a lot of it is kind of asking myself questions. Um, you know, there, there's a conflict or something that's gone on here and, but am I assuming something that's behind that that's not there. For example, Mike, you know, where the guy cut you off. Well, this anger comes up um, because I'm assuming this person thinks they're more important than I am, that where they're going is more important. They need to get in front of me and, you know, this, versus maybe they just didn't see me. And I'm assuming all this in their rage, and they're in front of me saying, ooh, I wish I hadn't done that. Hmm. Um, so really to, to look and see if I'm assuming things about what they've done. Um, and the, the other point is really um, to look to see if there is truth in what they're saying. You know, they may be saying something about me that uh, I would like to think isn't true, but maybe there, there's some truth in there. 
And the Lord has used a lot of people in my life and in dis different situations to, to show me that truth. I know in our Crossroads seminary or seminars, Paul, the one facilitator, gave an example that he said, when you're pursuing peace, you need to look inside. You need to look for that log. But he said, you know, sometimes there's something up here, you know, some issue that you have that you don't see it. It's perfectly obvious to everyone else around you, but you don't see it. And those are the instances where <clears throat> we have to be open to what somebody else is saying. And they may not say it the perfect way. They may not say it in a loving manner or the way we'd like to hear it, but we need to be open to that. That's good. Get, deal with the log in your own eye, as Jesus said. How do we bring the gospel into these situations where we see something wrong in somebody else's life or they've sinned against us? How does that come into play? I'd like to share a, a story that emphasizes this in my life. Forgiveness and reconciliation, that is the gospel. But where I struggle is the desire for self-vindication or taking vengeance. And this summer, something happened to me, and instead of doing the normal thing Bruce would do, I decided to look at my Bible. That's kind of a smart thing to do. And I looked at the life of David. And you know, over the years, Saul did a lot of nasty things to David, but they, I couldn't find any place where David tried to self-vindicate himself or to uh, exercise vengeance. And if that's all right for David, that should be all right for Bruce. So, um, you know, that's, what, that's the biblical approach. We're, God asks us to put Jesus first, other people first, even if it has a cost to yourself. And I think that's what they call dying to yourself or carrying your cross. And that is the gospel. You know, I think the gospel, as was stated, you know, is really an integral role in our reconciliation with those around us. Um, the gospel, the good news, you know, starts with the bad news that, that I'm a sinner and I, I can't solve that problem. But then there's the good news that Jesus, through his sacrifice on the cross and his, and his resurrection, um, I'm forgiven. Um, I can enter into a relationship with him while I'm here on earth and into eternity. Uh, this love and mercy uh, that he extends is really kind of almost beyond my comprehension. But if that thought is first and foremost in my mind when I'm dealing with others, um, how can I possibly not forgive them? When I look at everything and knowing what's in my heart and what the Lord has forgiven me, how can I possibly not extend that to others? Um, so that, that just having that thought in my mind or in your mind um, when dealing with these things, I think really helps me to move forward. And I, I think of Matthew 18, 21, the parable of the uh, unforgiving debtor who was, his whole debt was forgiven, yet he went to someone else and was demanding, you know, that the debt be paid, so. Yeah, just a final thought. <clears throat> we all know the gospel in terms of what we've been saved from. We've been saved from hell. We've been saved from sin. We all know what we've been saved to. We've been saved to heaven to go to be with God for eternity. 
But uh, the gospel also is about what we've been saved for. God has saved us for a purpose, and that purpose is to restore relationships with him and with one another. And uh, that is a final and large trust of the gospel in our lives. Why have I been saved and for what purpose? That's really good. Thank you all for being here with us today. I really, really appreciate it. I want to say as we prepare to take communion together that if you want to go deeper into this topic, you can do that at efree.org slash discussion. There's a discussion guide that you can download there with questions for you, for your family, for your small group.